Good morning, everyone. He's risen. Yeah, it's like, it's pretty cool. I mean, the thing that we are getting together to celebrate, you, you, you guys, you might not know this, but for a couple thousand years, churches do this thing where the leader says he's risen and everybody says he's risen indeed. We're going to try it again. I just want to give you a chance to warm up. Um, but uh, it, it, it's, it's amazingly cool how God uh, meets us like, in our real lives. And that's a bit what I want to talk about today. So he's risen. He's risen. He is. It's like, no longer in the grave, whole different kind of body, walks through walls, eats fish, gives disciples hugs, and then disappears into the clouds. It's like, it's an amazing thing between now and Pentecost, what we are celebrating together as a church. And so we've been studying through the Gospel of Mark together, actually since last October. Uh, hopefully it's been uh, at least a little bit as enjoyable for you as it has been uh, for us that have been preaching through it. It's been really, really cool. And completely by coincidence, today we're looking at the passage at the end of Mark at the resurrection. Isn't that amazing how that happens? <laughs> okay, it, wasn't, it was kind of planned out. Um, so I want to just kind of go back a little bit and talk about kind of the purpose of Mark's gospel, because we're kind of wrapping it up here for a little bit. If you want, and here's, here's the purpose of Mark's gospel. He's basically saying, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And here's how it begins. Mark 1.1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So from the very beginning of this book, Mark is telling us that this gospel is really good news for all of humanity, and he's telling us that good news has actually appeared in person. That good news appeared in person. The good news that every human being longs for, especially after the first last couple of years, right, has made a personal appearance. That history isn't just a set of like random events. That history isn't like these just disconnected things happening. He's saying that the story of history finds its meaning in the biblical story. And the biblical story is one unified story. It's all about Jesus. And it shows us what God is like. To quote uh, one of my favorite authors, N.T. Wright, Tom Wright, he says this, if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be human, look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what grief is, look at Jesus. And go on looking until you're not just a spectator, but you're actually part of the drama which has him as the central character. Whether you realize it or not, you're not a spectator. You're like part of the show. And Christ is the central character, and that's what we're celebrating here today. And one of the central stories of this drama is the resurrection. So if you have a Bible, why don't you pull it out? We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 16, the first eight verses. Uh, there's Bible on the rack of the chair there in front of you that you can grab a hold of. Uh, Mark chapter 16. Let me pray, and I'm going to read that, and then just unpack that for a couple minutes. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your grace that you extend to us in your son, Jesus. And Lord, as we look at the scriptures, as we pray for one another here in a moment, Lord, would you, um, would you meet us tangibly? Thank you, Jesus, that you're not like in the grave and you're not just some historical figure, but you're alive and through the Holy Spirit you're moving in our lives, even just in the room online today. 
that you're moving. And so, Lord, we just say we welcome your presence. Would you, would you speak to us encouragement? And would you speak to us challenge today? Would you give every single one of us something uh, to chew on? In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Mark 16, starting in verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Salome brought spices so they might go anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because <laughs> they were afraid. I'm going to stop right there. Let me put the story in just a little bit of context for us. The story of the Bible is the story of God making everything new. All of history is headed in one direction according to Scripture. God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth, and he's going to dwell with his people forever. If you remember, the story starts out in the garden, Genesis 1 and 2, where everything is perfect and beautiful, and we are given a responsibility to nurture and care for one another, to care for and, and, and to nurture life and creativity and growth to care for one another and to be involved in God's beautiful creation living in harmony with him and living in harmony with one another but then as God tells the story uh, Genesis 3 we wanted to be in charge we want to be like God we want to go after wisdom and we want to go after love on our own terms we don't like the way that God has designed it. And so we're the ones who disobeyed. We're the ones who walked away from him. We bring disharmony. We bring disintegration like into all the world. And the story of the Old Testament is the story of God enacting a covenant with humanity to bring us to himself once and for all. Everything that God promised, everything that God did with Israel was a primer. It was a pointer to Christ Jesus. He fulfills all of his promises to Israel and to us in Christ Jesus. So that the goal, the end of the Bible, is that God will once again dwell with his people. That's Revelation chapter 21. The Apostle John writes, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he'll wipe every tear from their eye. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain or COVID. For the old order of things, I added that part in. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. God's gonna make everything new. And it's really interesting. When you look up the word everything in the Greek, guess what it means? You guys are brilliant. You're like Greek scholars. It means every stinking thing. 
Like all of it is gonna be made completely new. And this work of making everything new, it began in the resurrection of Christ. We see Jesus in a brand new body. He's still got the scars. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he like, just appears in rooms. And, 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 and then he gives him hugs. And then I don't know what the molecular structure of his body was at that point, but it was pretty amazing because he could eat fish, but then he could just disappear through a locked door. Like, Jesus' body was totally different. We see that he invites us into a new kind of life. And we see the beginning of that from his very first message in Mark chapter one, verse 15. He says, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Kingdom of God is like shorthand for this new that God is creating. And he says it's available, it's at hand, it's within reach. And the way you get it is you repent Greek word metanoia, we get our word metamorphosis from it. It means a change. It means to change your mind, change your direction for living. To repent and believe that you place your faith in him. He said that's the way in. That's the way to access the new that he is bringing. And then we see what it looks like in the resurrection. When, when, when you encounter Christ, when you begin to give your life into Christ, it's like God plants the new inside you. The old is still there. And they're kind of growing side by side. That's why it often feels like such a struggle to follow Jesus, right? And, but the new is there, and it is growing, and it is growing. The more that you live with him, the more that you follow him, the more that you uh, surrender to him, the more that you rearrange your life as, as a life of worship to him, the more that he changes you. The Apostle Paul writes, you actually become a new creation in Christ. Therefore, anyone who's in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. When, when, when you begin to understand the biblical narrative, you begin to see that we're not headed back to the beginning. We're not headed back. The beginning was great, but we're not headed back there. We're not headed back to the garden. We're not headed to be some disembodied spirit somewhere floating around playing a harp on some cloud. It's like we're headed to a, and by the way, I like harps, like especially like harmonica type harps, right? They're amazing. Like, so, but, um, so if you play a harp, God bless you. I'm not making fun of that. No, what I'm talking about is the biblical story of, is one of God making everything new, have new heaven, new earth, dwelling with us forever. And as followers of the resurrected Christ, part of the church, we get to be participants in the kingdom right now, in the new God, actively joining with God through the empowering presence of God, the Holy Spirit. We get to actually like, embody and live out the new today in everything that we do, in all the ways that we play, in all the ways that we have relationships. We get to actually live that out in our daily life. We're working alongside God, as it were, to bring flashes of the new, of the kingdom of God. Flashes of it right here in our daily lives. So what does it look like to actually live as people of the resurrection? Well, here's the outline I want to use today. It actually comes from a, an old pastor back in like the 400s. His name was Augustine. And a, f a friend of Augustine's reached out to him shortly after Jerome died. So I think it was like after 420, something like that. So it was a long time ago, right? Uh, a friend reached out and said, hey, could you make me a handbook for how to follow Jesus? Like how to live as a Christian. And so Augustine wrote back and he goes, yeah, I can do that for you. It's all about faith, hope, and love. He goes, you probably want me to unpack that a little bit more. And so he kept writing. He goes, but it all boils down to faith, hope, and love. 
To be a people of the resurrection, to be a, uh, as followers of Christ today, we're like children of the resurrection. To be that person is to live a life of faith, hope, and love. By the way, when you look at the writings of the Apostle Paul, if anybody wants to do this study, it'd be really fun. Um, it's, all of his letters are organized around faith, hope, and love. That that's what God's actually inviting us into. It's, 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 a, it's an amazingly cool thing. And so I use that as kind of a, a, an outline today. The resurrection of Jesus anchors us as people of faith, hope, and love. What does that mean? Let's look at the story of the resurrection through that lens. First of all, our faith, our, our, it's a life of faith, and that faith is firmly rooted in reality. It's not in wishful thinking. It's not in self-help. It's not in some weird disconnected from reality conspiracy theory. Birds aren't real. It's faith founded on historical reality, Right? Do you ever wonder why the scripture lists all the names of people? Do you ever wonder that? Do you ever start reading through the Bible and you get to the genealogies and you're like, ah, I'm so bored. Do you know why it lists all the names of people? It's because the people were actually there. Like there were real humans living on the planet that experienced this with Jesus and with God. I love the way the scripture lists their names. Like they were really there. If somebody were writing about it today, it wouldn't list your name because you're like really here. I was like, this is something that really happened. It's like actual, real history. Uh, um, so the resurrection marks out Jesus as like in a category of one. No one else in the history of the world, ancient or modern, believes that anyone else died, was buried, came back to life, fully embodied in a transformed body, but the same person, and that they now live eternally in that embodied existence. The only person you can say that about is Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a faith that's rooted in reality. There's so much I could say about that. But it's a faith that presents a version of reality that's gonna leave you totally freaked out and speechless. Like the version of reality that just wipes you out. The women in this story are alarmed, trembling, bewildered, and afraid. I love all the adjectives to describe what was going on inside of them. They're thinking, what's going on? This doesn't fit into any category that they had. They're so freaked out, they don't talk to anybody about it for a while. And it wasn't just the women who were freaked out. If you read about the story of the resurrection in Matthew... Matthew records there was a violent earthquake for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. <laughs> that's, like a, that's like an ancient angel mic drop. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were like white as snow. They don't even have words to describe what he looked like. And I love verse four. The guards were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. They had seizures and passed out. They were so afraid. The women were trembling and afraid and all that. They didn't pass out. They didn't have a seizure. Like, the women were tougher, right? They'd given birth. They were way tougher, right? The tough centurion guards are like, boom, they're down, right? They're just like, they're out of it. Listen, no one saw the resurrection coming. It wasn't on anybody's bingo card. They were all totally shocked. We are still completely unable to process the depth of this, which is why we have bunnies and eggs. Talk about cognitive dissonance. Like, this is it, right? right here, right? We're unable to process that. And so because of that, this is a faith that makes room for doubt. I love that this young man-looking angelic being tells the women to investigate the spot where Jesus had been laid. Take a look at it right here. It's right here. 
Right? He's pointing it out to them. Don't get freaked out. Look at that's where he used to lay. Right? I love the way that God invites us into faith in the midst of doubt. Do you realize God is not threatened by your doubts? Not even a little bit. I think God welcomes our doubts. I think he invites us to investigate. Remember, one of the disciples, Thomas, had said privately to the other disciples, kind of locked away in a room, that until I can put my finger in his wounds, I'm not going to believe that it's him. And then, about a week later, Jesus shows up. You can read about it in the Gospel of John. Jesus goes up and goes, yo, Tom, check it out. <laughs> and Tom never puts his finger in the wound. You read about it, Tom falls down in worship. My Lord and my God. That's brilliant. I love the way that Jesus invites us to him so kindly in the midst of our doubt. We can say like one of the fathers who brought a son to Jesus to be physically healed. We can say, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And he offers to help us in the kindest of ways. Listen, let's be honest. We are all believers and we are all unbelievers. You have doubts. I have doubts. We experience faith. We experience doubt. Just as Jesus was about to ascend into the clouds, Matthew, one of the 11 disciples records this. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. This is after they'd been with the resurrected Christ for 40 days. Like that's Pentecost is the thing that we're celebrating like in, in 50 days from now. They'd been with Christ for like for that whole time and some of them still doubted. Listen, this is a faith that invites you into something, I guarantee it'll totally freak you out. God's inviting you into way more than you ever thought he's inviting you into, and he meets you in that, because it's a faith that rearranges all of life. This is a faith that rearranges all of life. I love to highlight this simple point. The resurrection changed for the whole planet what we think of as the first day of the week. First day of the week is Monday. Guess what? First day of the week is Sunday. Last day of the week is Saturday. The Sabbath was Saturday. They got done. First day of the week, they get up to go take care of the body. They bought their spices. They bought everything. They couldn't do it on the Sabbath. They're showing up the next day, first day of the week. When did the first day of the week switch to Monday? It's because the church of Jesus began to worship on the day of the resurrection. And now, we all think of the first day of the week as Monday, the second day of the week. What, like, think about it. What would have to happen in human history to change the whole planet into having Tuesday as the first day of the week. Something giant, right? Like this is giant, it changes absolutely everything. That's like a simple illustration. I remember reading through the Gospels the very first time. I'm going through the Gospel of John. I get about three quarters of the way through it. I remember I was working at my dad's service station, gas station, Union 76, back in the, who, 76. Back in 76, Union 76, I, mean, I, never, I never made that connection before. <laughs> So my father-in-law doesn't take much to doesn't take much to entertain an idiot. <laughs> um, anyway, back to the story. I remember reading through the Gospel of John, and uh, um, and I, I get about three quarters of the way through it. I'm thinking, if this is true, this changes everything I thought I knew about the world. Like this changes how I treat. This should change how I treat people. This should change how I treat my mom. Oh my gosh. Like, this should change everything if this is true. And, and that's like, the day of the week is a simple part of that. It rearranges all of life, which is why the doubt is always there. And I love this at the end. It's a faith that involves, empowers, the overlooked, the cast aside, the unimportant, the marginalized. 
Sadly, in Jewish culture of that day, the women were incredibly marginalized. And after this, no longer were they marginalized. The women were not considered to be good witnesses. If you're going to write a story that you're going to take to the whole Roman Empire, you would not have women as the witnesses. That's just not the way it worked in that culture, right? And so God says, oh, I don't care. I love them. They're going to be my first witnesses. They're the ones God entrusted with the greatest news ever. They're commissioned by God to tell the rest of the world what had happened. I firmly believe that God has been commissioning women for ministry ever since. We're invited into a life of faith. We're invited into a life of hope. I could go on the faith thing for like all day, but let me switch gears to go to hope. Uh, Have you ever wondered why In Jesus' resurrected body, the scars weren't just wiped away, like back to fresh, brand new. Ever wonder why he brought the scars? If you think about it, the memento that he took from his time on earth in his physical body was scars. I think it's genius that God took scars with him. I think it teaches us so much and it gives us so much hope. Listen, we live in the real world just like Jesus did. And we get lots, we experience brokenness and fractures and lots of scars. It's a normal part of living in a world that has, in essence, turned us back on God. And when something gets broken in our lives, what we do is we just want to get over it. Or we want to superglue it back together in such a way that you can't tell it was ever broken. Like we just want to repair it so you can't ever tell it was broken, right? That's what we want to do. Either get over it or sweep it under the rug or just try to fix it so you never have to deal with it again. Think about it again. And we might try to fix something a time or two, but then after that, it's just like, well, I'm getting rid of it. Our landfills tell that story better than I ever could. Here's the deal. The past couple years, we have all lived through trauma. We've lived through an amazing amount of trauma the past couple years. No one on the planet has been unaffected by COVID in some way, shape, or form. You can't say that about really any other trauma. You can't even say that about 9-11, right? You can't say that uh, outside of our current generation. We've all been affected by this. And the result of trauma is that we experience loss, that we begin to experience grief. And the work of processing through that loss and that grief, honestly, for many of us, has only just begun. Unprocessed trauma is going to show up in our lives physically and emotionally and spiritually in all sorts of ways over the next few years. And so think about the memento that Jesus took with him from his years on earth as a scarred body. Even in its made new state, he kept the scars. I'm talking about living a life of hope. What if the main way that God works in our lives is in the fractures? What if the main way that God works in our lives is through the pain and he doesn't make the scars disappear, but he fills your scars with hope and love and even joy? This past week, I got to attend a workshop in Manhattan, in New York City. And I got to go to a really cool workshop that I wanted to go to. So it was my birthday week, and I thought, you know what I want to do for my birthday? I want to go to New York and take a Kintsugi workshop. You guys ever have that experience? No. So here's the deal. I've learned, I learned about Kintsugi a few years ago. I, um, I bought this mug back at a really painful, painful uh, time of my life. A time of my life where I was crying uh, pretty much every day over pain of a really just rugged divorce I went through in my early 20s. 
I was living in an old Volkswagen bus wearing Birkenstocks. I had a really cool long mullet. I played the flute. I was an earth muffin. <laughs> I was a crunchy earth muffin. I ate, I ate grape nuts all the time, right? And smelled bad. I was, I was like one of those kids. And um, I had been through this incredibly painful divorce. I just decided I didn't trust the humans and I just wanted to get away from all y'all. Right? I just was tired of y'all. And so I would stop at really beautiful places. I'd do watercolor paintings, sell them for a few bucks, go on, buy the next box of grape nuts and keep going down the road. And along the way, I, I bought this mug at, at a pottery place and uh, at a potter uh, on the coast of Oregon. And it's really cool work. It's super thin, just beautiful. Um, it gets really hot, so it warms you up on those cold mornings when you're living in a Volkswagen bus. And I just met God regularly as I played my newly purchased flute and did watercolor painting and drank tea out of my mug, not coffee, because I was staying away from chemicals, you know, grape nuts and all. And, um, and along the way, uh, one, of, one of those times I'm getting out of my mug, the you know, old Volkswagen bus, 64, it doesn't have like cup holders or anything like that setting on the deal. In fact, it didn't even have a place to strap in like car seats. Later on, when Brenda and I had our first child, we bungeed the car seat between the two front seats. Just imagine that. It was great because it bouncy, 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 you know, <laughs> keep him entertained. <laughs> totally illegal today. Anyway, he lived to tell the story. Um, I'm getting out of that bus, and I just bump the mug with my, shoulder, with my elbow, and it starts falling out onto the pavement, and I'm following it down like, no, you know, like the commercial, and it bounces, and I grab it, and it had a hairline fracture for the past, like, almost 40 years. I've kept it, because it was a deeply meaningful time in my life where God met me. And every time, about every couple of years, I'd pour warm uh, hot water or coffee into it uh, to see if maybe it had healed itself. Because I read somewhere that sometimes pottery, you know, like, will heal itself. Heal yourself. And I prayed for it. It never happened. And, um, and what it would do is it would just, a hairline fracture, it would just weep out. The, the liquid would just weep out of it. And so I called it my weeping mug because it remembered all my times, you know. I know, I'm, I'm sappy and emotional. Just, de just deal with it if that bugs you. And, um, and so it's like, it's, I just called it my weeping mug. And every couple of years I'd pour stuff into it. And, it would, and then I learned about kintsugi. And kintsugi is like a 17th century, began in the 17th century uh, Japanese tradition where they repair uh, pottery that they'd used like for their tea ceremonies that was like a family heirloom, a family treasure. And it would break because of accident or earthquake or Volkswagen bus elbow. And, um, and they would repair it, but in a way that actually like makes it more valuable and more beautiful than it was in its unbroken, useful state. Man, there's a picture there, right? That's like incredibly cool. The, the master, the kintsugi master, will, uh, uh, rather than throwing it away, they'll hold on to it for like a, a couple generations, take it to a master who then carefully fills the cracks with a lacquer mixed with gold. We, throw, we, we break something, we just throw it away, right? In, in kintsugi, you're highlighting the fractures with gold so that once what once looked like a fracture begins to look like a landscape or a mountain, and it's way more valuable than it used to be. And so I went to this workshop, and you can put up a picture of my finished mug, um, uh, and, I, and I took this, and what we did at the workshop is we sat and we, we held the broken pieces of pottery, and then we meditated for a few moments, led by uh, this amazing uh, artist, um, Esther, that I, that I met out there. And um, she just led us through meditating for a few minutes about not, not just the, 
the broken piece in front of you, but like the broken parts of your life. And what might it look like if there was healing available and the broken parts of your life became some of the most beautiful parts of your life? And what, 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 what if rather than trying to get rid of scars, the scars become the place that cause others to fall down and worship God because of what he's done in our lives? And so then I began to fill in the crack with the, with the gold uh, lacquer and began to paint over that. And Esther uh, recommended that as you paint it, don't just fill it in, but kind of ask God like what he's doing uh, in your life uh, in the midst of that and feel free to paint what you want on there. You know, you have to cover the crack for sure, but feel free to paint what else you want. And I've been doing a lot of drawings of trees lately. I took a painting commission, and so I'm working on a painting of a tree, so trees are like on my mind, and I'm waiting for them to leaf out so I can finish this commission. Come on, trees, what are you doing here? Like, this six more weeks added to six more weeks added to six more weeks of winter is getting to me here. And um, as I began to paint, I began to notice, that kind of looks like a branch, and so I just went with that. And I thought, well, that's kind of silly, I'm painting trees, and I felt like God said, no, the, the tears that you have sown, the tears that I've sown over the really hard parts of your life, Michael, have actually given birth to new growth. Now, that could sound kind of sappy and cliche, but that's like really, like it ended up being a really powerful moment for me as I'm sitting there kind of doing this. What if in community, in, in, you know what I call the church? I call the church a holy car crash of humans. People who would never hang out together anywhere else. Like fragments, like stained glass window. Fragments of lives that are super sharp around the edges and are always poking each other. When people say, man, I used to attend church, but I got hurt there. Of course you did. And you hurt other people. It's like it's normal part of being in church, right? What if the fragments of our lives, what if the broken parts of our lives or in our community together actually ended up becoming the place where God could bring healing in ways that was way more beautiful than we could have ever imagined. What if when somebody came through the door, rather than having to hide their scars, that we welcomed them and, and we, I don't know exactly what God wants to do in your life, but I know that the scars that are there are gonna be way more beautiful than you ever imagined. Like the scars in Jesus' hands. Does that make sense? Am I making any sense here? So, um, the resurrection of Christ is the physical embodiment of the hope that you and I are created for. And we're meant to live lives of faith. We're meant to live lives of hope. We're meant to live a life of love. Jesus is the one who gets to define what love is and what it looks like. And as Jesus defined loves, uh, defines love, he defines it way more radical, way more self-giving, way more uncomfortably sacrificial than you and I would ever define it. In fact, he says that that mark of love is the way that everybody knows that we're followers of Jesus, John 13. Everyone will know you're my disciples because you love one another. And I don't know if you, if you ever take time to get to know the folks sitting around you today, you'll discover some of them think similarly to you. Some of them think really different than you about pretty much every topic. That's what I love about the church. It's like there's nowhere in the world that people who are as radically different in terms of their philosophical uh, beliefs, in terms of their political beliefs, in terms of like everything, actually get together in the same room and worship one person, the resurrected one. Like this is the only place where that happens. 
And the thing that is so incredibly captivating is that people that are so different can actually learn to love one another. How does that happen? This is the place where that's supposed to happen. This is like the training ground for eternity in new heaven and new earth when it's every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every ethnicity. And then Jesus goes on a couple chapters later to say, here's what it looks like. It looks like laying down your life for one another. It looks like laying down your life for one another. So here's the deal. That's completely impossible to do on your own. None of us can live that kind of life on our own. The gospel shows us over and over how the disciples failed. I love, I love the way the gospel shows us the failure of the disciples. It's showing us again and again, you can't do what I'm asking you to do. There's no way you can do it. But when you submit, when you surrender, go back to the beginning of John, repentance and belief, when you, re, when you reorient from your way of approaching life to his way, when you put your confidence in him, he fills you with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit can do it. You're invited, the resurrection invites you into a way of life that you can't possibly do. That's why it's so offensive to, Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians, it's offensive to the Jews and the Greeks. It's offensive to those that are really, really smart because they have to say, I'm not smart enough for this. And it's offensive to those who are really, really religious because your religion ain't gonna get you here. It's offensive all the way around. The Holy Spirit's aim in your life is to awaken the theological realities of faith, hope, and love. There's a wonderful little book called Interior Freedom by Jacques Philippe. He's French, so I have to say it like that. And he writes this, the Holy Spirit's aim in your life is to awaken the theological realities of faith, hope, and love in us and to make them grow. So because of the resurrection, because of the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, our lives are meant to embody faith, hope, and love. Faith. We enter through faith. We enter through the past. We enter as we remember the exodus, the cross, and the resurrection. And the remembering constantly builds stability to our faith and to our lives. And we remember, among other things, lots of things, we remember why it is that we need redemption. But along the way, that faith begins to build an imagination for what could be an imagination gives birth to hope. And hope is seeing what cannot yet be seen and living into the reality of that on the basis of faith. Faith kind of connects the past to the future. Hope is all about connecting the future to the present. And then that's where we learn to live a life of love. Because as important as faith and hope are, they are in the service of love. You and I are created by God to be loved and to love. To love him with everything that we have, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love those around us, our neighbors, just like we love and take care of ourselves. The, the resurrection isn't a Disney happy fairy tale ending. It's a whole new beginning. It's an invitation into a completely different way of life. And so in a couple moments, we're gonna take communion. So if you have a communion stuff, grab that. If uh, you don't have, if you didn't grab one of these when you came in, we got a couple people with baskets right here. And uh, if you just put your hand up, they'll bring you some communion elements while I'm chatting here for a moment. I want to invite you. Communion is this picture of Jesus, of you putting your confidence and your trust in Jesus for your whole life. This is a picture of that. I'm putting my confidence and trust in Jesus for my whole life and for everything in my life. That's what communion is a picture of. And the way that you step into that, just keep your hand up, they're coming around. Uh, the way that you step into that is 
you actually surrender, you repent and believe, you put your confidence and faith in him and you realign your life around his life. That's what this whole thing is. And I want to invite you to do that. I want to, for some of us, we've never actually made that step of faith. We, we, we need to admit that God's not been first place in our lives and we ask him to forgive us. We, we, we put our confidence that Jesus died to pay for our sins and he rose again on Easter and he's still alive today. We repent of our substitutes for God and we, we turn back to him. We, we reject those substitutes and we accept God's free gift of salvation. We, we stop trying to earn it. Then we invite God to come into our life by the Holy Spirit and begin to make us completely new inside and we join together with God's people to actually bring his healing to the whole rest of the world. And so before we take communion, I want to invite you to make the communion real, to allow God's love to go deeper into your life today. It's an invitation for a number of us to give our lives to Jesus, maybe for the first time. And it doesn't matter like what your church background is, whether it's Roman Catholic or Lutheran or unchurched or agnostic or even atheist, right? You, you, you may have prayed a prayer at some point in life, but as I'm talking about this life of faith, hope, and love, perhaps you realize that it hasn't gone very deep. I'm inviting you to throw your lot in with Christ, to give your life to Jesus, to know that you're forgiven and live in the reality of that. And so if you want to start that journey, I want to pray a prayer. And I just want you to pray it along with me, quietly or silently. Something like this. Heavenly Father, I want to know you. I want to know your forgiveness in my life. I want to know you in my heart, mind, soul, like everywhere. And so today, Father, I ask that you would forgive me. Would you allow your forgiveness to wash over my life because of what Jesus did on the cross and because of his resurrection from the dead? Forgive me. Would you be my savior? Would you cleanse me? And would you fill me with the Holy Spirit? I ask you to come into my life and take control. Clean up whatever messes I've made. I offer myself to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, that's the prayer of like beginning life with God. And then we're meant to like live in that place of surrender constantly. And communion's a picture of that. Communion is a picture of surrendering my life to him and inviting him to fill me. So pull out the wafer. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was eating supper with his disciples, and at one point during the meal, he took one of the matzahs and he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. Well, Jesus, thank you for your death on the cross. Thank you for your perfect life. Thank you for the way that you show us what love is, not just tell us. And Lord, we just say we welcome your love into our lives. Your love is our sustenance. We need it like we need bread. In the same way, somewhere during the supper, Jesus took the cup, and when he'd given thanks and blessed it, he said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you get together, this is what you do. And he went on to say, I'm not going to drink of any of the 
the fruit of the vineyard you know, the, uh, from now until that time when I'm with you together in my Father's kingdom. This cup is also uh, a symbol. It's a tiny, tiny symbol of the feast that we're invited into when we get to be with him. This is like the beginning of the feast, the beginning of the new as we celebrate this together. Let's drink the cup. We say, Lord Jesus, thank you for the life that you invite us into, for the presence of your Holy Spirit, for the new covenant in your blood. And Lord, would you make us, I don't know, agents of the new everywhere we go? Would you fill us with your life and love? Would you let hope bubble out of us with joy, even in the midst of the difficulties that we've experienced the past couple of years? Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you guys stand up with me? Worship team can come on up. If you're on prayer ministry team, why don't you make your way up here? For those of you that prayed that prayer of surrender with me for the first time, I'd really like to invite you to do a couple things. In a moment, I'm going to have some folks up here to pray for us. And there would be a couple things that I invite people forward for to get prayer. But if you prayed that prayer with me for the first time, surrendering your life to Jesus, I'd love to have you just come up and get some prayer. And there's a little packet that they'd love to give you. It's got a New Testament Bible, like I was reading that first time back in 1976, working at Union 76. I'm never going to forget that. That's really cool now. And, um, and I, there's stuff that God wants to impart to you through the scriptures. And so I would just encourage you, come up and, and, and let them know, and let them pray for you and then kind of give you one of those packets. There's also, I saw some packets by the door on your way out the door that you can grab and take with you. Um, I, I believe that God wants to empower you with a brand new kind of life. It's not, just a, it's not just a religious ritual to pray that. There's something that God really wants to impart to you, and he is imparting that to you even right now. And then secondly, there's a whole bunch of us that our scars have been embarrassments to us. But we've tried to kind of hide the scars. I'm not trying to glorify our brokenness. I'm not trying to glorify our weakness. But you can go through life where you take the trauma, you can take the shame, you can take the stuff that you experience that's really hard, and you can just shove it under a rug over and over and over again. And pretty soon, it makes it hard to walk across the room because there's so much crap under the rug. And some of us are having a real struggle of just walking through our lives day by day. We keep tripping over the same things over and over again. And what I want you to invite you to do is come up and get some prayer and allow God to begin to put his gold into those fractures of your life. He doesn't want to just wipe it away like it's never been there. He actually wants to empower you to live a whole different kind of life that you could be as proud of the scar as Jesus is of his because of the way that he's moving, God's moving and working and bringing healing to your life. And it's not proud of the scar, it's proud of like what God does in the midst of that. And so God, would you give us courage to respond to you, to identify some of those things in our lives that are really broken, where it actually when we think about it, we don't experience hope at all. We don't experience the new life that those tears are meant to bring. God, would you give us the courage to actually get prayer, 
to actually interact in community with others right now here so that we can experience your hope and your healing in a really powerful way. And of course, we'll pray for anything going on in your life. And so these guys are going to lead us in worship for a little bit. Uh, there's folks up here in the front that would love to pray with you. And uh, I just invite you, just take a few moments, just hang out the same way that I did holding that little mug before I painted it, before you leave. Just kind of hold this moment with God and ask him what he wants to do. Holy Spirit, would you come? And would you give us courage to respond to you, God, and experience your grace and your healing in really cool ways. In Christ's name, amen. Feel free to hang out in here for a little bit. Other than that, God bless you guys. Thanks for joining us on Easter. He really is risen.